You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident fanalist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore data. So when I started the podcast, um, and by that I mean this is my second attempt. When when I started the podcast last time, I was I started off by saying, you know, just things were very negative. And I don't like it. Uh, social media is just a cesspool, and it's just it's just draining for me anyways. I don't know. Some people might be fine. But it's just, it's so unnecessarily negative. I mean, players are being completely trashed, probably well beyond what is needed and necessary. People are fighting just because of the whole team sport thing. You know, I mean, it, it's no different. Again, the one thing I thought would be great about Rodgers leaving is we wouldn't have to do this stupid... Um, you know, are you Team Rogers or Team Packers thing? Well, we're doing it all over again. It's, is it the, is it, you know, are you pro or anti Jordan Love or whatever it is? Um, and that war is raging on social media and I just don't want to do it, right? Obviously, I have an opinion, which, as, as I said yesterday, um, is a stupid argument anyways, because everybody's failing. But anyway, aside from that, the bottom line is, after 10 minutes of recording saying, I'm just, I don't want to engage with the negativity and deal with all the nonsense. The podcast turned extremely negative <laughs> and it's granted, it's hard to go through PFF data, which I did and not turn it negative. But I thought, you know, took a little break, grab a little food, got myself a little fizzy drink here. Sparkling ice things are pretty good. And, um, I just thought I don't like it. And didn't really intend to delete the whole thing, but it was just really bothering me. It was really bothering me that not only was it stupid and hypocritical that I was complaining about the negativity and then I got negative, I just didn't like what I was saying and the way that I was saying it. So I'm scrapping it, and we're going to start over. And I'm certainly not going to paint a super rosy picture because there isn't one. I'm going to paint a realistic picture. I'm just going to try to not get swept into the natural human impulse of just ranting and raving and raging about the same thing over and over and over again. Let's freaking just look at the information and do whatever. But anyways, today we're talking first and foremost about Rashawn Gary and the extension that he got. Not a lot to say about it other than he got paid, which was obviously expected, but uh, I'm just glad that it finally got done. He signed a four-year, $96 million extension. Uh, that totals $107.5 million overall with a signing bonus of $34.636928 million. Heck of a payday. Happy for him. Glad that um, we get to retain a obviously a core piece of our team. Obviously, it isn't paying dividends right now, but, you know, 
Ideally, in the future, we get this thing sorted out, and there's no question Rashawn Gary will be a part of that sorting. And um, any team in the near future that's making a run is going to be needing a guy like Rashawn Gary. Um, I think that's it. I, I can't remember. Uh, anyways, let's get over to PFF real quick. We'll start off with special teams as usual. The um, There was some positive. A.J. Dillon did have a 74 special teams grade, which is cool. Carl Brooks, 93-1, which is incredible. Unfortunately, uh, we did have five guys that were pretty bad. And even worse than that, three of them were pretty core special teams guys. Actually, four. <laughs> anyways. Not, I'm not going to get sarcastic because that might seem a slight bit negative. But Keyshawn Nixon had a 48.3, Anthony Johnson a 44.9, Dallin Levitt a 41.6, Eric Wilson 34.7, and then Jonathan Owens was at the bottom with a 30.4. There were three special teams tackles that were made by Carrington Valentine, Tucker Kraft, and Corey Ballantyne. We had two missed tackles. They were by Carrington Valentine and Eric Wilson. Moving over to the offensive side of things, um, only had one player in the 70 or higher range. That would be Elton Jenkins. Maybe even more surprising, we only had five guys out of 18 in the 60 range, which would mean that we had um, 12 out of 18 that were below average at best. So Elton Jenkins was a 76.5, Zach Thomas 68, A.J. Dillon a 64, Jordan Love a 63, Dentavian Wick, 63, Romeo Dobbs, 62, and then Reed, 58, Runyon, 57, Musgrave, 56, Watson, 55, Nyman, 55, Ture, 55, Josh Myers, 54, Aaron Jones, a 54, Rashid Walker, 53. Then you get into the massively negative, which is all tight ends. Ben Sims, 46, Tucker Craft, 41, and Josiah DeGuara, who seems to perpetually be at the bottom of this list, 40.9. One of the other negatives that um, should be noted is that although, I mean, obviously everybody's struggling and that's kind of part of the problem, there, there seems to be a uniquely a lot of core players like Aaron Jones on this list, right? Might not be as surprising seeing Josiah or Tucker Craft or Samori Ture or whatever, but Aaron Jones being near the bottom, and we're going to see more of this on defense, speaks to, again, somewhat of a larger issue than this is young guy. No, Josiah DeGuara is not a young guy. He was the worst. Aaron Jones is not a young guy. Josh Myers is not necessarily a young guy, not by the terms in which we're using it. Again, there'll be more on defense, but, you know, I mean, I, I that's oversimplification. I don't really see any real correlation to Tavian Wicks and Romeo Dobbs and Zach Tom and Jaden Reed. I mean, they're all in the top seven. Those are all first and second year guys. None of them good, but I'm just saying. Um, going through some of the specifics, Jordan Love, we know about his general statistics. Um, the completion percentage wasn't great, but his adjusted completion percentage this week was actually quite good at 70%, largely due to all the drops. There weren't nearly as many as everybody on social media is screaming about. I'm seeing some say six, some saying nine. There were four drops in the game. It's still a lot. It was tied for the most of this week with Tua. I mean, Tua didn't drop it, but you, you get what I'm saying. Quarterbacks that had a lot of drops, um, whatever. But it certainly was not nine. Um, his time to throw was 2.8 seconds, which is a little longer than normal. Uh, you know, that could be attributed to guys not getting open or whatever the case may be. I haven't had a chance to go back and watch it. That'll be, I presume, for tomorrow. We'll see how it goes. Got the whole trick-or-treating thing going on, so we'll see what I can get done. Happy Halloween, by the way. Forgot to mention that. I always, I always forget to, you know, like when tomorrow's a thing, it's like, hey, this podcast is for tomorrow, so say something about it. 
Hope you all are safe. Have a good time, et cetera, et cetera. Um, as far as the clean and pressure thing, he actually graded out quite well when not under pressure. He had a 76 PFF grade. He completed 21 of 33 attempts, which is 63.6%. His adjusted completion percentage goes up to 76% for 206 yards, one touchdown, one pick, one big-time throw, zero turnover-worthy plays. Time to throw being 2.61 seconds, still just a 78.6 uh, passer rating, but again, grading out pretty well. The bad news is kind of twofold. Number one, he had a 49 passing grade one under pressure, which is not good. The other bit of bad news is he really wasn't under pressure very much at all. Just 26.5% of his dropbacks. That was 13 dropbacks out of 49. And the reason that's bad is we can't really get that much lower. We're not going to see much lower than 26%. So he either improves when there's no pressure improves when there is pressure like either while he's clean he has like a 90 pff grade like some guys have or he's got to get better under pressure because lowering the pressures isn't really a feasible thing that we can do to elevate jordan love's play but he was three of eight zero touchdowns zero interceptions one big time throw one turnover worthy play he had zero drops while under pressure so that doesn't necessarily affect the three of eight thing although there was one throw away which doesn't count so it brings it from a 37 percent completion rate to a 43%. Time to throw when under pressure, 3.32 seconds with a 45.8 NFL passer rating. If we look at um, the depth passing, on passes of 20 yards or more, he was 2 of 7. 28.6%, 65 yards, 0 touchdowns and a pick. And for the record, 0 drops. On passes between 10 and 19 yards, he was 3 of 9, which is 33%. 0 drops. So on passes that were 10 yards or more, PFF has him down at 5 of 16 for um, 110 yards, zero touchdowns, and a pick. Zero drops. On deep passing, they gave him a 60.7 grade. On medium passing, 63.2. Short passes were great. He was 12 of 17 for 88 yards and a touchdown. That's 70.6%, but all four drops were in this range, meaning his actual adjusted completion percentage was 94%. 16 of 17, essentially. So he was on fire in that 0 to 9 range. And again, that's where his one touchdown came from. And behind the line of scrimmage, 7 of 7, 32 yards, 60.9 grade. So if we add the drops to, let's just say, his completions, because we'll call them accurate passes, he was 23 of 24. On passes that are 10 yards or deeper, he was 5 of 16. So again, you're asking me. Everybody has their own standards on what their expectations are for Jordan Love at this point in his career. I was very open about what I was looking for coming into this. Number one, consistency. I haven't seen it. Number two, he needs to be a better under pressure. That didn't happen. Number three, he needs to be better with deep passes. That didn't happen. So I don't think it's unfair of me to say that he hasn't met the standard that I set for Jordan Love at this point in the season. However, I will say this. What do we know about Jordan Love? He struggles in the first half. Guess what just ended? The first half of the season. <laughs> so, by, by my calculations, Jordan Love should be the best quarterback in the NFL for the rest of the season. And as stupid as that sounds, think about how stupid the consistency of that has been this entire season. In what universe could a team be so consistently awful in the first half and as good as they've been in the second half? Not every time. But if you just split those in two, they're two entirely different teams. That's not rational. That doesn't make sense. I'm going to hold on to this one. I'm putting that in my back pocket. And if we come out 
and light it up, I'm going to just say, I told you so. And I just saw on social media that Matt LaFleur said they're changing it up. They're changing up their regimen because that's what's going to fix it. And I'm going to try to pretend that that wasn't sarcasm because it wasn't. I'm serious. That's what's going to fix it. Second half team, here we go. But yeah, I'm, I, it's... Uh... <laughs> Never mind. The receivers. A.J. Dillon um, had the highest and the only good receiving grade on the entire team. In fact, it wasn't even close. He had a 72.4 receiving grade with his five targets, five receptions, 41 yards. 2.16 yards per route run, the only one over two. Romeo Dobbs was the next highest with a 60. And then it was Wicks 59, Reed 58, Watson 58, Musgrave 53, Aaron Jones at 40. I doubt anyone is surprised by that, but that's unfortunate. The four drops, by the way, were allocated to Romeo Dobbs, Dontavian Wicks, Jaden Reed, and Aaron Jones. That, by the way, is zero to Christian Watson. I think the part that you might be interested in is the contested catches. The Packers were 0 for 7. Running the ball, we didn't have a single positive grade. Aaron Jones was the highest with a 66.8, Dylan 56, and Jordan Love with a 46.3. Another indication of how bad the season has been is the fact that neither A.J. Dillon or Aaron Jones is grading out well. I mean, the, the whole thing is like Aaron Jones is a godlike figure, A.J. Dillon is trash, and the reality is Jones and Dillon have both taken a nosedive this year. We haven't seen much Jones, but he's never really had the... Um, he's not having the kind of start that we're used to. Last year, he had a 90.7 rushing grade. Right now, it's a 78. Last year, he had an 86 overall grade. Right now, he's at a 66. Highest yards after contact per attempt was Aaron Jones at 2.43. There were zero missed tackles in this game, just one carry over 10 yards, and it was Jordan Love. So, uh, in zero touchdowns, two fumbles. One from Aaron Jones, one's from Jordan Love. So, Jones had a drop and a fumble in this game. Then we get to the offensive line. Left tackle Yash Nyman did have a 73 pass blocking grade and a 45 run blocking grade. I am glad to see the pass blocking is beginning to get back to what it was, which is nice, but the run blocking has been consistently worse than usual. You know, it's, it's one thing to say this has never been a very good run blocking team, and that's true, but generally what you're looking at is like a 65 run blocking and somewhere between a 75 and 85 pass blocking, depending on which guy you're talking about. But to have everybody down in the 40s, like maybe someone's in the 50s, 40s, that's freaking rough. Um, Rashid Walker, who also played left tackle in this game, he had an 81 pass blocking grade and a 47 run blocking grade. So kind of both in both, uh, better in both categories, but he got yanked for Yash Nyman apparently. Both of them were uh, responsible for a sack of the four that were given up, Yash and Rashid. Uh, Yash Nyman also gave up one hurry for two total pressures. Rashid Walker just had the one. Left guard Elton Jenkins, the highest graded guy on the team, had a 90.5 pass blocking grade, zero pressures given up, and a 65 run blocking grade. That, that to me is, and, and I think most of the fan base would be fine with that. I think there's a lot of frustration with, well, the run blocking, you know, I, I don't care if they're this good at pass blocking. The run blocking is, you know, you have to be better. Look, I think we would all be okay with sub, I shouldn't even subpar, shouldn't say subpar. I think we'd all be fine if things were what they were before, which was not great, but it wasn't abysmal. Elton Jenkins getting a 90 pass blocking grade. If, if the entire offensive line looked like this, we'd freaking dominate everybody. Jordan Love would have like 45 minutes to stand in the pocket. <laughs> it's just... And the run game would just work. It wouldn't be elite, maybe, but it would certainly work. 
Uh, Josh Myers had probably his worst game of the season. It was uh, definitely his worst pass-blocking game of the season. He had a 56 pass-blocking grade. Um, he gave up one sack and two hurries for three total pressures. That's the most pressures he's given up all season. Um, he also had a 51.9 run-blocking grade, so that was his third worst run-blocking game. So worst overall, worst pass-blocking, and one of his worst run-blocking games of the year. John Runyon. 80.7 pass blocking grade. I love it. Again, I'm glad we're back. Zero pressures. But again, the run blocking, 43.2. 43.2. That's not normal. This is not normal behavior. And this is also part of the reason I don't want to like blow up the offensive line because it's like, you know, let's just see. It feels to me like we have a car and you're driving in a blizzard and you flip the windshield wipers on and they don't come on and it's like, bro, this car doesn't have windshield wipers. We need a new car. And it's like, well, hold on now. Slow down. Is, is it possible we could repair the windshield wipers? And it's like, you're not understanding. Like, I can't, we can't drive without windshield wipers. We'll, we'll die. It's impossible. We can't do it. No, no, I get that. But it seems like a drastic step to throw away the whole car when I know for a fact that they were working at one point. So it has windshield wipers. I know it does because I've seen them moving around to and fro. It's just not working at the moment, and I want to see if we can talk to a repairman to get a fix. You get what I'm saying? Something's broke. Let's see if we can fix it. If we can't, then I guess we got to, you know, we got to do this. I don't know. We got to figure something out. I guess get a new car. I don't know. I don't really know. But if we could just get that 43 to a 63 and keep the 80, we're good. We're good. I don't want, I don't even want a 90 run blocking grade. That's a lie, but I'm just saying, I don't care. But it can't be a 43. Can't be a 43. Give me a 60.0. Give me a 59.9. I don't care. Can't be a 43, though. And then uh, Zach Tom, consistent but average across the board. Uh, the pass blocking wasn't ideal, but I guess could have been worse. He had a 68.5. He gave a sack and three hurries as the most pressures on the team for total. And then his run blocking was a 65, which, again, I am content with, but ideally we get that pass blocking back up. Actually, ideally you did what you did last week, which was just be good at both, but... Now I'm asking for consistency, and that's just me being stupid. Um, only two guys actually graded out really well in run blocking. That's Dontavian Wicks and Romeo Dobbs. The other guy that was close to good, 69.2, was Luke Musgrave. Pass blocking, A.J. Dillon was actually the second highest. He had an 83.6 grade. Uh, Luke Musgrave, 71.7. Ben Sims and Tucker Craft also graded out well, but they only had one attempt each. So... That is the offense in a nutshell. We'll take a quick break. We'll come back, take a look at the defense, and we'll see where that leaves us. We will take a break. We'll be right back. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy slab packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. 
Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. All righty. The defense was definitely better, and there is plenty to be excited about, but let's start with the not-so-exciting part first. The guys that are below average at best, Kenny Clark with a 57, Kingsley and Igbari with a 55.9, Jair with a 55, Jonathan Owens 54, Rashawn Gary 50.4, Razul Douglas 47, and Carl Brooks 41. So as I said, when your superstars are at the bottom, or the guys that you expect to be superstars are at the bottom, that's part of the issue. Part of the appeal of the entire team is, we got Jair, we got Kenny, we got Rashawn, we got Razul. If those four guys are at the bottom being dragged by, we'll get to it, but guys that shouldn't have to be dragging anyone, that's a problem. Now, Kenny is a repeat offender. It's unfortunate, but it's not surprising at this point. Kingsley has had a rough year. Jonathan Owens, I mean, to be honest, a 54 grade is about as good as I ever would expect from him. Carl Brooks is a rookie. He's been up and down. It is what it is. 41 is a little little extreme on the low side, but you kind of deal with it. But Jair and Rashawn and Razul are the ones that I really don't like seeing here. And I know the idea is Jair's been there all year. No, he hasn't. He hasn't been good all year. I will grant you that. Um, but, you know, even for a down year, that is, well, tied for his lowest game of the year. Now, I mean, it's, it's not the easiest thing in the world when you haven't played consistently, right? I mean, you played in week two, then you missed three weeks. Then you played in week five. Well, you missed two weeks. You didn't play for three until three weeks later. You play in week five. Then you miss another two weeks. You play in week eight. I mean, I'm not trying to make excuses, but the guy can't play two, two weeks in a row and he's dealing with a back injury. But still, it's, it's unfortunate to see that. The guys that were average, um, Keyshawn Nixon, 60.3. Anthony Johnson with a 63, but he only played four snaps. Rudy Ford at a 65, which, again, I, I mean, it's not an elite grade but i continue to be impressed with him um he hasn't really been bad since before we i mean since week three he's been at least decent 88 73 75 70 and 65 i mean rudy has been the only consistently decent to solid player um on the team then you get into the good and this is where i get really excited and we've, we've got some you know varying things for different categories but there's a lot of names here that i'm pumped about number one lucas van ness with a 70.2 grade 68.5 run defense 61.6 pass rush obviously you want better than that for pass rush and fast in fact the pass rush this year has been pretty horrific um he has five pressures on 81 attempts which is less than 10 percent to make matters worse he had five pressures week one 
Five pressures on 24 attempts. He hasn't had a pressure since week one. Not a pressure since week one. That's pretty staggering stuff. But it's his first good game since week two, so we will take that as a positive and something to get excited about. Uh, at number six, you have Quay Walker with a 71.6 grade. Quay Walker um, having a pretty big slump there for a while. He started off hot with a 92. Week two, he had a 72, and then it was 43, 58, 35, 62. And then he finally had his first bounce back game. So I'm um, glad to see him back, kind of kind of back, I don't want to say on top, but back where he should be. Colby Wooden at number five with a 75.7 grade, 75.5 run defense, just a 54.7 pass rush. But statistically, there's no problem having one pressure on just four pass rush attempts. Colby Wooden so far this year has been a pretty impressive rookie, I would say. He did have one bad game against Atlanta, 36.9. Um, but the fourth-round pick out of Auburn, has his grades have been 70, uh, 59, 72, 61, 64, and 76. Now, that's not world-beating, but again, for a fourth-round rookie to convert from edge to interior at a relatively light weight. I know he bulked up, but still, I mean, this is a pretty big shift and it's a pretty big transition. And it's, a, let's be honest, it's a unit that number one, almost nobody does well as a rookie, which is defensive tackle. And number two, almost nobody does anything on the Green Bay Packers at defensive tackle because it just doesn't happen. And for him to have like three solid games this year with another three being average and just one bad game, eight pressures on 67 attempts. He doesn't have any sacks yet, but that's that's a pretty solid rookie campaign for a defensive tackle as a fourth-round pick. Carl Brooks has been a little bit more rocky. Um, he has nine pressures and two sacks on 110 attempts, so he is below 10%. He does have the two sacks, but just one good game week three, otherwise 54, 48, 57, 60, 56, 41. Again, I mean, it's, it's maybe to be expected considering, again, late-round pick, defensive tackle, the whole thing, but I'm just saying. At number four, Devondre Campbell, 78.8 overall grade, 92.2 run defense, 85.8 pass rush, 49.1 coverage, which obviously was sort of his Achilles heel this week, but it didn't slow him down too much. He has been solid every game he's played. He only played the first three weeks, 70, basically 70, 70, and then 79. He comes back after injury. And as a 79 again. So his last two games have been solid. He's got a 79, uh, yeah, 79 basically PFF grade on the season. 90 run defense grade, 77 tackling grade, 79 pass rush grade, and a 63.6 coverage grade. So Devondre, despite battling injuries, is, I mean, on track to continue to be, once again, one of the top linebackers in the NFL. At number three, not surprisingly, I mean, maybe surprising that he was down as low as he was, but TJ Slayton. 82.3 overall grade, mostly run defense, but whatever. That's what you expect from him. And then at number two, you have Devontae Wyatt. That one gets me super jacked up. It's another guy that everybody seemed to want to be down on, which I, at the time I didn't understand. But seeing how fans operate for the last couple weeks, especially as things have been bad, I realize that everybody just hates everything all the time. So I shouldn't be surprised that you know, he's playing well and nobody cares, nobody likes him, everybody hates him. But 89.6 PFF grade, um, he is going into year two. He's currently at a 72 PFF grade. Um, it was his best overall game, his best run defense grade, his well, third highest tackling grade, his number one pass rush grade. He currently has 
22 pressures on 121 attempts. 22 pressures on 121 attempts. 18% he's at. Pretty sure that's what he was at last week. Because I remember that being like top end of the elite spectrum, basically. And he is maintaining that. And then the number one on the day was Preston Smith, 92.8 PFF grade. Preston has been also struggling basically since week one. 72.3 was his grade in that game. Hasn't been in the 70s once since. 69, 66, 57, 43, 59, and then 93. So it's been a pretty rough season, honestly, but this catapults all his grades back up into the 70s, basically. Aside from coverage, which is also a 91.5 because of that pass breakup, obviously, mega elite. Um, run defense, you had uh, Quay, Colby, Devontae Wyatt, TJ Slayton, and Devondre Campbell going from least good to best good. Um, the only really bad run defense grade was Carl Brooks. Um, tackling, you had Rashawn Gary and Jair Alexander were the two that kind of stood out as being bad. Pass rush, nobody was really bad, but the three that stood out as being very good was Devontae Wyatt, Devondre Campbell, and Preston Smith. Coverage grades, the two that were bad were Devondre Campbell and Razul Douglas. The one that was elite was Preston Smith, which is depressing. Getting into the statistics, the team had 18 pressures. On the negative side of things, again, Lucas Van Ness had the most attempts with zero pressures at a, uh, zero out of 11. Then you had Quay Walker at eight attempts. He had zero pressures. Kingsley had seven attempts with zero pressures. The only other guy was Jonathan Owens with one attempt. After that, you had Devondre Campbell had a pressure on just three attempts. TJ Slayton had one on 20, which is obviously not great. It's 5%. Um, Colby Wooden had one on four, which is great. Rashawn Gary had two on 30, which is not what you would hope for 6.7 percent but he's still at 28 pressures on 131 attempts it really didn't hurt his uh his average carl brooks had two on 16 attempts which is solid kenny clark had three on 34 attempts so slightly below 10 percent Devonte wyatt had three pressures on 19 attempts and then preston smith had five pressures on 28 attempts for the sacks we had three one for kenny two for preston Hits on the quarterback, one from Kenny, one from Devondre Campbell, one from Rashawn, one from Wyatt, and two from Preston Smith. Obviously, all the rest are hurries. There were nine of those. Batted passes, we had Lucas Van Ness. Missed tackles, there were seven of them. One from Campbell, Ford, Gary, Nixon, Slayton, and two from Jair. That's probably where a lot of the anti-Jair sentiment is coming from, I would guess. That and the touchdown. I'm trying to figure out, like, why is everyone so anti-Jair this week? Well, two missed tackles and a touchdown will do it. Stops. There were 29 stops in the game. That's a lot. That is more than I kind of ever really remember seeing. Um, again, these are tackles that are negative plays for the offense. There was one from Kenny Razul, Rudy Ford, Nixon, Owens, Wyatt, Inigbare, and Wooden. Um, two stops from Rashawn Gary, Jair Alexander, and Quay Walker. Three stops from Preston. Five stops from Devondre Campbell. Seven stops by TJ Slayton. That is an unbelievable number. I don't know if I've ever seen anybody get seven stops before, ever. Last week, Quay had four. I'm just, I just want to see. Maybe I'm out of my mind. I don't ever remember seeing seven. Yeah, Quay had seven uh, in week four, so I guess shows what I know. That is a lot, though, especially for a, you know, a nose tackle. I mean, a linebacker is probably the most likely, but yeah, that's, that is a big number. Uh, forced fumble by Preston Smith. 
Getting into the coverage statistics, Keyshawn Nixon was the most targeted. Um, six receptions on eight targets for 60 yards. He did have one pass breakup. Jair Alexander was targeted seven times, gave up six of those for 64 yards and a touchdown. Devondre Campbell, seven targets, six receptions, 57 yards. Razul Douglas, six targets, five receptions, 83 yards. That is the most yards given up. Jonathan Owens, four targets, three receptions, 33 yards and a touchdown. Um, otherwise, it was just Preston Smith, one target, zero receptions, and a pass breakup. Elite. He should be out on the boundary more often, man. That dude just, he should live out there. So, some positives, man. I said I wanted to see the cream. want to see it. And um, I'm pretty excited about a couple of these guys. I'm excited. I mean, Devontae Wyatt, I think, is the biggest, most exciting storyline of the season that nobody's talking about. Nobody gives a crap about Devontae Wyatt. And, and even when I posted it on social media, people are still throwing a feel like, we kissed up the run. Like, oh, good Lord. Good Lord. <sighs> then this week, he has a good 76 run defense grade on top of statistics and grades and the pass rush and everything. Still, nobody gives a crap. Nobody cares. Okay. Well, I guess everybody just wants to be miserable. We don't want to talk about good stuff. That's fine. We'll ignore all the good stuff. We'll just talk about everything that's horrible. And then we'll argue about what's more horrible. Like, you are horrible because you don't think that the order that you sort the horrible in is my order. We gotta get hobbies, man. We all gotta get some new hobbies. Anyways, let's take our final break. Come back and, uh, I don't know, figure something out. We'll be right back. So, I don't know if we can do this every single day. I gotta start soliciting some things. I gotta start cooking more, etc., but in the interest of keeping things semi-fun and positive and whatnot, one thing I'd like to do is game day recipe ideas. Again, I'm going to need some help, but in the meantime, I'm going to do what I can. So I mentioned on Packing It After Dark, I think tonight, last night, two nights ago, whatever, that I've been on a soup kick. It just occurred to me that I can make soup in a pressure cooker real fast, real easy, and you could argue whether it comes out better or not. Probably not. Doesn't matter. It takes like no time, no effort whatsoever. And I'm slowly, slowly dialing it in. So just to understand, this is a rough draft. But I made, I'm not kidding, I made two soups today. And I think I made four total over the last two days, maybe th I think three days. I made a soup, next day I made soup, and then today I made two soups. And the reason is, I had leftover chicken. And I didn't want to just make a chicken thing, because I only had two chicken breasts left. Or no, I had four? I don't know, it doesn't matter. I think I had four. But I have tilapia, so I, I, gotta, I gotta get rid of the chicken because tilapia's gonna go mad. So it occurred to me that once you kind of understand the fundamentals, you don't really need a recipe. I mean, it helps, but I'm gonna do whatever I want. And here's my favorite one. Of the four that I made, two of them are recipes, two of them I made up. And my favorite one so far, which is still a rough draft, I'll tell you what I did, and I'll tell you what's wrong with it, and how to make it better, but it's still my favorite, and I don't have a name for it. But we're just going to call it spicy chicken noodle soup. If you have a pressure cooker, inst Instapot, whatever. Mine isn't called an Instapot because it's not an Instapot, but it works just like an Instapot. It's a pressure cooker with a bunch of buttons and little settings on it and whatnot. If you're looking for, like, a side to go with something else, soup is a dope side. Plus, you throw... I got these little containers. And plus, it justifies me buying way too many containers. So now I have a fridge full of these soup containers, and I got soup forever. And... I had the robot calculate how many calories per cup, so I put a little note on there, how many calories each soup has, so I grab a soup, measure them out per cup, bing, bang, boom. Anyways, here's a recipe, ready? Easiest thing in the world. Full box of pasta, which is like a pound or whatever, those, you know, general pasta box that you get at the grocery store. Two chicken breasts, season it up. What I used was Heath Ryle's uh, garlic habanero, 
just because it was spicy and I don't usually use it very much, so I wanted a reason to use it, so that's what I used. Six cups of chicken broth, which usually those boxes are about four cups, and I had a half of one left, so I just did one and a half. I, I actually bought another box that's actually six cups. As I'm going to tell you, though, it's not enough, so you just don't worry about it. Two-thirds cup of Parmesan cheese, quarter cup of Valentina sauce, Valentina hot sauce. So all you got to do, you set the thing, they got like a sear mode, you sear both sides of the chicken, get a little bit extra flavor. I know it'd be, a lot of people said back in the day, it was like, you got to seal in the juice so it doesn't go dry. That's bullcrap. That has nothing to do with sealing in the juice. That doesn't work. That's not how science works. What it does do, though, is actually give some bland chicken some flavor. Now, couple issues. Number one, probably could use more Valentina hot sauce. I decided to cut it off at a quarter cup because I got tired of shaking it. I could, it's not like a screw-off top, the one that I have because I got the giant Mondo bottle. And I was just dripping it in one at a time. And I'm like, all right, I'm just doing a quarter cup and we'll leave it at that. You could probably do like a half a cup. Maybe middle of the road, do a third. Problem number two, it's more of a pasta dish than a soup because, you know, there's not a lot of liquid. Plus, as it sat in the fridge, I went to like reheat some and it's like it absorbed even more water. So it's a straight up pasta dish. Delicious pasta dish. But you probably need at least eight cups of broth. But here, here's the thing, like it's so freaking simple because... You can use rice, pasta, or potatoes as your grain. You got your chicken broth, you put in your meat, and then you put in different seasonings. Boom, new soup. You could add sour cream, you could add cream cheese. If you want to add cream at the end, you got like a creamy soup thing. So many different things. But as far as the settings, and I'm still tweaking this a little bit because even this is taking, is, is overcooking stuff. You bring it up to pressure, you put it in five minutes. That's it, five minutes. So once it comes up to pressure, let it cook for five minutes, then you turn it off and let it sit for ten. And it's done. Five minutes in the pressure cooker. And even at that, I, you know, checked the chicken and it was still... It finally doesn't, like, fall apart in my hands. Overcooked, I still had to, like, pull it. But it's amazing. Tastes real good. Put a little cheese over the top. Mm. As the uh, temperature starts to cool down, that was my favorite experiment, was my Valentina spicy chicken soup. I also made a creamy chicken noodle potato and then the other one the heck was it oh it was chicken and rice same formula for all of them sear the meat add in your ingredients bring it up to pressure five minutes stop it let it sit 10 minutes soup is done and this one is 170 calories per cup approximately if you care and then the final thing i want to end on is a is a little bit corny but we're going to do it anyways it's halloween themed because as i was thinking about sort of the question of like what is the scariest thing um about this season i realized that it's actually a better parallel than i thought because if you think about halloween or horror movies or the heck are those things called <laughs> haunted houses we deliberately go through it i've been watching i just watched uh forgot what it's called horror movie down in the french catacombs which is decent because you get like all the claustrophobia of like being in the catacombs, which is scary in and of itself, on top of like a horror movie, so it was decent. But we deliberately do it because through all of the horror, which is like a negative emotion, there is some kind of thrill and excitement to it at the same time. The biggest fear, or the scariest thing that emerged this season for me was the realization that there may very well need to be a complete organizational overhaul. And again, I don't know if that includes the GM or not, and it, it, it doesn't necessarily matter. It does for a lot of people, but it, it, the, the, the scary part 
doesn't it, it doesn't change anything because it's still scary for me anyways for a lot of people it's like just throw this guy in the garbage find somebody else like it's a no big deal but you know there were a lot of things that grounded me in the belief that we don't have to become this team that goes in the dumpster for the next 30 years we have a very winning coach we have a team that has won a lot of games we just need a couple things you know, quarterback being the number one. We need to have a quarterback. Because we know, with a quarterback, we're able to do it. Because we watched that happen. The only two things we lost we can be replaced. Quarterback, wide receiver. And we could be right back where we were. If you do away with everything, everything is off the table. Yeah, maybe we can worm our way back to where we just were two seconds ago. But it's more, I mean, we, we, we are just cutting ourselves loose in the open ocean. There's no reason we can't be the Browns, the Jets, whatever. We no longer have anything anchoring us. That's scary. That's why I am so reluctant to let go. There's nothing proven out there. But at the same time, there is still excitement. And it might be foolish excitement. It's not necessarily rational. But there is always excitement. Just like for the draft, there's also excitement about the prospect of what if you go from Matt LaFleur to the next awesome thing, the next exciting coach, the next exciting defensive coordinator. The next exciting quarterback. I mean, what if the what if we do decide to fire everybody at the end of the season? And you can fill in the blanks on the GM if you want to go that route. But what if the the top option in the entire NFL does come to the Green Bay Packers? Let's say it's the offensive coordinator for the Detroit Lions, and we get him. And not only that, we do have the number one pick, and we get Caleb Williams. You know what I mean? Now suddenly we have the hottest coach in the market. The hottest quarterback to come out of college in a very long time, all the concerns aside, there's still excitement to it. Now, if we fire everybody and have the ninth pick, then I just I just think we're straight up screwed, but <laughs> it was a similar sort of Halloween situation where the, that realization, when it finally hit me, when I watched the game, you know, two weeks ago or whatever, and you could just see the top-down organizational catastrophe, and then especially this week, from the very first snap, you just see nothing makes sense. No one is ready. There's no discipline. There's no organization. There's no drive. There's no focus. It was a feeling of despair, horror, if you will. But again, at the end of the day, if that is going to be the reality, there's no reason not to be hopeful. All this stuff is, is for fun anyway, so have fun. If you want to have fun by assuming we're going to turn it around, great. Awesome. Jordan's our guy. Matt LaFleur's the guy. They're going to figure it out. They're going to fix it. One, two, or three, maybe more of these wide receiver, tight end, running back, whatever combination. They're going to get on board. They're going to really take off like a freaking rocket. And we're going to have something special here. If that's what you want to do, great. But football should be fun. And what's fun about football is the hope. What's not fun is despair. So if Jordan's your guy, and this is your team, like the 2023 team right now is ready to rock and roll, then have hope. And if you don't have hope, find hope. Sitting and wallowing is no fun. I know that's what some fans will always do. Back when we were winning 13 wins every single, getting 13 wins every season, there were people that were still miserable. That's their problem. That's what they enjoy. But for most of us, we don't actually enjoy the misery. And what I would say too is, don't trash people for finding their hope. People get so mad if it's like, you know, I, I'm just looking forward to the draft. I think we're going to get that, 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 that. And people get so mad. You're a piece of crap. You're not actually a fan. You're not rooting for the team. They're just finding hope. 
You have hope. And you know what? It's blind, mindless hope. But nobody's giving you crap. <laughs> There's no reason to believe in this team or this quarterback or coach or anything else. But you found hope in it. That's what you have fun doing. So go do it. But some of us don't see it. We can't get there. It's too irrational. It's, it's like the uh, Fast and Furious movies. Some people are into it. I can't watch it. It's unwatchable. Because it's so fake and it's so just outside the realm of anything that's even somewhat realistic. So I can't get into it. That's the Packers for me in 2023. It's so outside the realm of, of realism that this team, especially with Matt LaFleur, Jordan Love, that the combination that we have, this team is going to figure it out this year and we're going to do something cool, something special. We're going we're gonna to be better. We're going to do this, 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 I can't get there. Great. Then find something to be hopeful about. If instead you're going to choose to go on social media and get into bickering fights about who's worse than who and who needs to be fired, I mean, is, aren't you tired? Of, isn't, that, isn't that boring? I mean, how many days in a row can you go on social media and say, fire Joe Barry? Like, I, that, that joke got old so long ago. <laughs> and if it's not a joke, then what is it? Who are you talking to? Who's going to fire him today? You'd like him to be fired at the end of the year. Cool. Great. We know. So would everybody. What else? Anything else? Fire Matt LaFleur. Okay, great. Good one. Yeah. Real creative thought process here. Anything else? Yeah, fire Gutekunst. Wow. Boy. You just got all kinds of ideas. Just the creativity is just bursting. All right. Anything else? Yeah, trade Jair. Oh, my good Lord. Okay. All right. Any, anything? What do you got for me on the positive side? Nothing. The picks, the, the seven first-round picks we'll get for Jair, who apparently is trash and really expensive that nobody can afford. Okay. Whatever. Find your optimism and get jacked up about it. If you're not excited about this team, get excited about the future head coach. Why are you excited about the future head coach? Write the story. What are they going to do? Is the Lions guy going to come in here and instill that culture? Is the offensive coordinator from Miami going to come over here and instill, instill that offense? Install that offense? What defensive coordinator is coming here? And this isn't me being a smart aleck like most people. Like, oh, you want him fired? Then who are you going to hire? Who gives a crap? It's a stupid little, like, gotcha thing. It doesn't mean anything. I don't have to know who to hire in order to know that somebody needs to be fired. If a doctor's doing open-heart surgery and they cut into my arm, stuff a Pez dispenser in there and try to sew me up with scotch tape, I'm going to say that they need to be fired. I don't need to know how to do open-heart surgery to know that that guy needs to be fired. I don't need to have a replacement doctor in mind. Oh, you don't think tape should be used? What do you use? What do you do? Well, you don't put a Pez dispenser in their arm? Tell me, doctor, what should you do? Shut up, pompous dork. <laughs> I don't need to know. I just know that this doctor should be in prison. No, I don't mean that. I mean, really, find a guy. Find someone. Get excited about it. Who's it going to be? What are they going to do? What kind of attributes are they going to have? Is it a culture thing? Is it, is it like an aggressive thing like Minnesota has or like Baltimore has or had? I don't know what they do anymore. Is it similar to the Fangio thing, just somebody that runs it better? Do you have an OC in mind to go along with? The, uh, the head coach? What about the quarterback? You don't like Jordan? Who do you like? Go find out. Go watch him. Go, go fall in love with one of the quarterbacks. You don't like the wide receivers? Go watch Marvin Harrison and imagine him being a Green Bay Packer. Imagine him being the next Justin Jefferson, like the, the top three, top two, number one wide receiver in football back in Green Bay. Why not? What, because somebody's going to, oh, you, you focus on the draft? Bro, it's October. Bro. Like, can we at least get through the season? Hey, bro, shut up. <laughs> Mind your freaking business. I'm sorry, we're not allowed to look at the draft. I have to sit here in the now and just dwell on what happened last week over and over and over and over and over again. 
Fire Joe Barry, Fire Joe Barry, Fire Joe Barry. That's what we're supposed to do. I can't get excited about rebuilding the team. I can't get excited about the team improving and getting better. Hell, I can't even talk about Devontae Wyatt being good without people getting pissed off at me. No, but I got to sit here and go, Fire Joe Barry, Fire Joe Barry, Fire Joe Barry. Oh my goodness, that's the greatest joke in the world. Fire Matt LaFleur, fire Matt LaFleur, fire Gutekunst, fire, 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 kill, shoot, burn with acid, burn with wind, burn with ice, trade Rashawn, trade Jair, trade Razul, trade Bakhtiari if you can, trade Rodgers the second time, we can bring him back and then trade him again, and then shoot him in the back on the way out, why not, just, I hate everybody, I hate everything about everybody. Bring back Mason Crosby. Screw this new kicker because I just feel like being pissed about something. And again, you don't have to worry about the few. Heck, get excited about the 2025 draft. You going to be there? I'll see you there. Who are we going to root for? Who's the guy? Who do you want to replace Mark Murphy? And if again, if you want to focus on this year, great. What's this week going to look like? What's going to happen? What's going to be the turnaround? Who's going to be that superstar wide receiver that's going to emerge? Is it going to be Watson or Dobbs or Reed? Is it going to be Musgrave? What's going to happen? Is it, is it Matt LaFleur figuring something else out as far as play calling? Is it the, the run game emerging? Like, what, what's the thing that's going to happen? If you're not in the, like, future thing and we shouldn't give up on now, great. What's going to happen? Is it Jordan primarily just forcing? He's going to be like Rodgers where it's like nothing works, but he's just going to force the ball in people's hands. At least that's the picture half of Twitter believes happened. He's going to force guys to not drop passes because they're just, he's so good. Find a reason to enjoy football. Because if you just hate football all the time, we should just stop watching it. There's better stuff we can be doing. Rake the leaves, you know? Run into a frickin' brick wall would be more fun than pissing and moaning on social media for, for another 30 seconds. I'm just tired of it. Aren't you tired of it? Isn't it old? You want to go back on there and see people call you an idiot and then you call them an idiot and we just keep doing this around and around and around? about Lucas Van Ness? Are you excited about Lucas Van Ness? Who are you excited about? Quay? Slayton? Wooden? Brooks? Jane Reed? Tucker Craft? Anybody? And again, if you're miserable, then fine. Who's your next GM? These guys all suck. Fine. Who's the GM you want? Again, I, I don't mean that from a sarcastic standpoint. I mean, think about what do you want? What do you want in a GM? Who's the guy? Go find him. Find something to enjoy. Find something that you want, something that you can root for and not just against all the time. Bet they're going to fail. Bet he's gonna suck. I'm sick of Jair. I'm sick of this. I'm sick of that. What do you want in life? Do you have aspirations for the team? Set, set your sights on something that you want so that if it actually happens, you can be happy for the team for the first time in your life rather than just waiting and waiting. And then when something happens that you don't like, he's, oh, stupid. Find a GM. If that's not fun, then I, I don't know what to tell you. You don't enjoy the team. You don't enjoy thinking about improvements because you just think that that's unrealistic and you're a super realistic fan. You don't like thinking about the draft because, you know, why think about things getting better? Rather just stay in the now and focus on the negative. Don't want to think about new coaches, new GMs. Find a new hobby. That would be my other suggestion. Make a soup and, um, I don't know, go sit outside and watch the cars pass by. I don't know. Just, just, just shooting ideas out there. Anyways, I'm going to leave it at that. You guys have a good rest of your day. I will talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one. Bye-bye.